So the title of the message is Calling Evil for What It Is and Overcoming It with Good. Can I hear an amen to that? Well, that's an important one. And here we are, Romans chapter 12. We begin studying 9 through 21. This is such a great portion of Scripture. Let me give a little running start. I don't know about you guys, but driving has gotten a little bit more confusing for me. I, I mean, I, I'm like, hate to even admit it. And of course, you have these apps. We all know that you can plug in a destination. How many does, do, does this, right, in your car? Okay, plug in a destination. And actually, you have this woman, this woman, oh, her, her voice is so comforting, you know, saying six miles. I just think, I, I, I just love her voice. You know, thank you, you're there. The turn, she helps you. I still get lost. That's the thing. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out why. It's like I was, you know, schlupping around Eric Metaxas this last week. And, okay, I'll take, you, I'll take you to the airport. Like, I make a wrong turn. Oh, geez, sorry about that, Eric. You know, I'll find the It's like, I mean, the pressure's on when someone's in the car and you're blowing it, even though you have MapQuest on or you have, you know, electronic thing. I don't know. what. I finally figured out, not to digress on this, but how many of you remember, like, like literally printed maps? How many of you remember that? <laughs> Hey, listen, I had no problem driving when we had printed maps. I mean, it's like the McNally thing, right? And you would, you never see anybody do this. You don't, you're not driving, you don't see people opening the maps, right? But I would like navigate, you know, figure it out, the destination on the map. You guys remember this? I had no problem going from one place to another. Then when I got married, then I had the, a navigator in the form of my wife. So now she's doing the work. And I think I'm in just another world. I'm probably working on messages in my head. She's saying, turn right or turn left. That's fantastic. And then it's going electronic. I've concluded I've gotten really soft. That's it. I just like, I'm increasingly mindless. This is part of the problem. So I face these crossroads. I think, oh, which one it is? And you can make, of course, the right choice. You make the wrong choice. All of that to simply say, look, life is full of crossroads, right? We're not always going to make the right choice choice. Thank God he works all things out for the good. It's true. He wants us to make the right choices when we're at the crossroads in life. He does. And he works with those right choices. But here's a great promise. Even when we like, oh man, see, sorry, Eric, you know, I made a wrong turn. I got to get back on the right path. He actually works despite our poor choices and turns it around for the good. Now, he doesn't want us to make poor choices choices. Are you with me on this? But the reality is he redeems it. He redeems it in our life. This is a promise that the Lord has given to us. But look, again, life is full of crossroads. This passage in front of us, I'm telling you, marks one of the greatest like crossroads in Scripture itself because Romans 12 begins to identify like amidst the crossroad in life what the right path is as followers of Jesus Christ. Like, we got a choice here. Like, you know, all that God has done for us, by his mercies, he first says, our response needs to be, I'm gonna give my body, my soul, my heart to the Lord as a living sacrifice. That's the most reasonable thing. I mean, to have him as our chief allegiance and love in life. Can I hear a big amen to that? That's actually chapter 12, verses one down to verse two. And don't be you know, conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All that God has done in our life, he's perfectly good, he's revealed himself. The most reasonable thing we could do 
is to respond to him. He's our chief allegiance. He's our, you know, he's the audience that we are living for, an audience of one. Watch this. The second thing is, he says here in this passage, we've been studying it, we have to understand we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. So you're a member, I'm a member, we're all members of a body called the body of Christ, the counterculture to a culture that is breaking down. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, and vice versa. We're, we're all like under the headship of Jesus Christ. That, that has to come front and center to our life. As, like, this is not extra credit Christianity. It's like reasonable response, right allegiance to the Lord. It's like, and if we veer, we get back on course. Second thing is, hey, we are a member of the body of Christ, which means we have a role to play. We need to make contribution to the greater whole. We've been talking about it. And the third thing is begins in verse 9, which is this comprehensive picture on what love is. It's like Christianity in application. What is it? Um, chief allegiance to the Lord. Christianity in application. Hey, we're a part of the body of Christ. Yeah, we're citizens of the United States of America. What a gift. But our first citizenship is in heaven, which means we're in a kingdom that will never break down, which means actually the Lord has a plan for us and a purpose for our lives. We all make contribution to the church. I mean, that, that's just so critical. So good job for being here. All right, don't, don't forsake the fellowship of the brethren. And here's the reality is like there's so much stinking distraction out there. We have to come out and be separate and be together. The Bible says don't forsake it, okay? Because if we're distracted, dis did, did you hear what I just said? Distracted? We'll become desensitized, okay? We'll break down. We need each other. And then now, love. I mean, this comprehensive picture of love, and we're going to be in this for a few weeks. Comprehensive picture. Aside from 1 Corinthians 13, which is like the love chapter in the Bible, like this is so weighty on this subject. Please look at verse 9. Here's love's morality. Like, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. He says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Like, love has a morality. We need to abhor, like, I'm disgusted by evil. So we're going to talk about what evil is. We need to call it for what it is. But there's love's morality. Then there's love's commitment. And we're going to like get into this in the weeks to come, but it was just going to frame the message a little bit here. In verse 10, he says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Hey, so let's be committed that we're going to love each other. We're going to value every member of the body of Christ, show no partiality, right? It's just like whatever that person looks like, male or female, we value each other, we love each other. Can I hear an amen to that, right? So that's love's commitment. Love's respect in honor, giving preference to one another. I love this, love's energy and passion. That's verse 11 and 12. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, like great attitude, man, and outlook, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Hey, there's hope. We have like we follow Jesus who resurrected from the dead. There's nothing too great for him, right? He's won the war. It's like, you know, we're in Christ. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Look up here for a second. Here's, here's what love looks like. Love is like a thermostat. 
You know, it's like if you work with the thermostat, it affects the atmosphere, right? It affects the atmosphere. And when we embody love, there's an attitude, there's a joy, there's a hope that's incredible. Love hopes all things. It's like love lifts other people up. It's like it lifts the team up, right? And in life, we can either be a thermostat or we can be a thermometer, which is just conforming to the atmosphere. Now, we're not to be conformed. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're to be a thermostat. We're to influence, right? It's like love. What, what is love? I mean, let me just put it. Love has a great attitude and a great outlook. It's like, I mean, love, you know, loves God and, we're, and knows that God is true. And, and, and God's unfolding plan cannot be stopped. So it's like believers, believers ought to be filled with hope, affecting the atmosphere. Are you guys with me on that? Now, so watch this. You can either be like a thermostat. We want to be a thermostat for the good. You don't want to be a thermometer, which is just conforming to the world. You can also be like a stinking vacuum, if I could just say. You just suck the energy out of the room. Or like, remember Eeyore, right? Remember Eeyore? Just kind of just down, bummer. Just like, oh man, that's a bummer to be around. Eeyores, don't be an Eeyore, right? Love, like lift others up. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true. Watch this. In verse 13, loves labor and hospitality, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Loves triumph. Hey, bless those who curse you. Bless who do not curse. You know what the alternative is? If someone persecutes me and someone injures me, then I can respond in bitterness and hatred towards them. And the reality is, is that evil will overcome a person. We're to overcome evil by good. Others, guys, this, if we're not operating what is good and love and righteous and, and being led by the Spirit, then we're operating in what's called evil, actually. And there's a reason why evil is evil. It destroys people. So there's a triumph of love. Love's impartiality and value. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I mean, empathetic, in the moment with people. I love it. And this jump down to verse 17. Loves virtue and commitment to peace. Which, by the way, so, so sorry. I, I went, it, it, loves impartiality. I love this. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things. Associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. It's like I, at this conference in Dallas, it was a women's conference, but I was in the front row. Anyways, so it's like Charlie Kirk comes out. I love this. I love this kid. He goes, how many of you travel here by yourself? Like a lot of young women raise their hands. And so, okay. Now, he encouraged the whole group. I want you to identify these individuals. Like, I'm going to ask tomorrow and just make sure no one is feeling alone or isolated and stuff. It's like, and then he said just very tactfully. He just, he's so good. He just goes, because, you know, he says, sometimes we have found that the, the Young Women's Conference can be a little cliquish. <laughs> just, just said it. He just moved on. I just thought, whoa, really? No, I, don't, I don't know. I've never been to one before. You know what I mean? But it's like, and here's the thing. Love, I mean, it's a little akin to this, but love does not set its mind on high things. Associates with the humble. It's like, Come on, right? We're all on equal footing of the cross, right? 
I mean, it's like Christians love individuals who are created in, in the image of God, obviously value fellow human beings. Anyways, look, love is comprehensive. It's identified in this passage. And when we add to the fact that God is love, the fruit of the Spirit is love, Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by the love that they have for one another. The greatest commandment in life is to love God and love one's fellow man. And while the Bible speaks of love, there's family love, there's brotherly love, there's physical love, there's sensual love, love eros, you know, in marriage, there's God's love. And and God's love loves for the sake of love. So in other words, like God's love, it nourishes and protects others. It is kind it is affectionate, it values the individual, it's sacrificial. That's just what it does. That's what it does. And the reality is, there's just no getting around, biblically, the issue of love. So watch this. Here we are on a crossroad, and we need to choose love. And it needs to be sincere, okay? So he's saying, like, we need to love without hypocrisy, which is like a fake love, We need to, like, this is, like, so important. This is Christianity 100. Like, Jesus didn't say, I will love you if you love me. He never said that. He's, like, looking over Jerusalem. I want to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks on her wings. But you were not willing? Then at the Passover Seder, he's, like, telling the disciples that um, he's going to give his life. He's on the cross later that day, and he says to, I believe primarily to Israel initially, then it applies to all of us, forgive them, Lord, they have no idea what they're doing. And then I'm going to come back to Jerusalem. So I'm totally committed to you guys. That's what he's saying. I'm not just loving you conditionally whether you love me. It's like, what does love look like? Love, sincere love, loves as an end in itself because it honors God. Love Biblical love is not like, okay, I'm going to do this as a means to an end to get something. Love loves for the sake of love. Can I hear a big amen to that? That's just what it does. That's so beautiful, isn't it? The point is, I just have one point, and and that is because we're going to build on this, the absence of love for God and for one's fellow man is actually evil. So he says like, love each other without hypocrisy. Hey, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Absence for love for God, we're framing this, absence for love for God, right allegiance, absence of love for our neighbor, of course, this is the first, second commandment, is actually evil. And four times from verse nine, essentially down to verse 21, evil is mentioned here. Like watch, abhor which is evil. And then in verse 17, do not repay evil with evil. And then in verse 21, I love this, overcome evil with good. Well, like, what is the good? Well, it's like in the media context. Hey, the good is love in action, really. Like, if we just pause here, from my perspective, there's no greater weakness in our generation than the failure to courageously confront evil in the context of our times. So it's like, like think about football for a second, if I could just say, you know, if you brought some offensive coordinators up here, these are the guys that come up with the schemes offensively and call plays. So if you brought one up that was great in 1990, and you brought up one that is great today in 2023, it's like there's some similarities to the plays that they're calling, but they're total, it's a totally different game. 
And it's a totally different game because it's a totally different context because the defense is different. And today, it's like, it's not 1984. It's 2023. So we all need to make adjustments. The mandate is to love and to abhor what is evil and overcome it with good, which is to love. So here's the thing. Today, if you identify evil, if you call out evil, watch this. It's like this gaslighting thing. Evil turns around and calls you evil. It's a really interesting thing. It's like, no, wait a second. No, it's, that's, this is, that's evil. That's wrong. That's sin. No, you're a stinking racist, you white person. You know, it's like it turns it around. It's like this, it's like this funky gaslighting to get attention off itself. It's like evil is this terrible cancer. And operating, you can't really feel it, but doggone it, it's growing, it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be called out. All the more reason why we need to abhor it. And seriously, this word abhor means like disgusted. We ought to hate it. So let me just ask you something. So let's bring a little emotion into it. Like, what is it that, what is it that you just like, oh my gosh, I just cannot stand this, so disgusting. Okay, I'm sorry to bring this up. How about throwing up? How about the stomach flu, Right? I mean, there you go. We, how many of you? Is there anyone here who's never thrown up in their life or something? Okay. I just remember, I'll make this really quick. I just remember as a kid, I mean, you're just trying to figure out, wow, this is, wow. And, it's just, and I just remember thinking, throwing up, getting so sick, and then associating, so sorry for this, but associating, you know, the stomach flu with some food, and you're thinking, I'm never going to eat that in my entire life. Can anybody relate to that? Can you raise your hand? Okay, thank you, thank you very much, right? And then we forget. Then we forget. And then we go back to what we were eating. It's like we forget it, right? Henry Ward Beecher said, now and then a man should be shaken to the core with indignation over things evil. So it's kind of like, hey, you know what? Yeah, like that association to the food type of thing, but in this case, like morality, you ought to like regain that sense of disgust. Like what he's just saying, there's a times that every man just needs to be reshaken with the reality of what evil is and how evil evil is. And one of the reasons is because Satan wants to destroy you. No, like evil exists. So it's like one of the reasons why, hey, whoa, 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 we should abhor that? that that's, a, that's a damn, I'm not cussing, damnable cancer? You got to abhor that. You got to cut that out. It's like one of the reasons, because he wants to destroy you. It's like we have an enemy, we need to understand that, and the world has an enemy. Thank God Jesus has overcome him. But we need to courageously confront evil we've been talking about. And this leads us, you guys, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. It leads us really to the authoritative word of God. It leads us to the Ten Commandments. Let's look at it. And there's some parallels, no doubt, to Romans chapter 12. Because it's interesting, Exodus chapter 20, which identifies the Ten Commandments, it begins with the Lord saying, that he spoke the following. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You guys see that there? Sorry. So he's speaking to Israel and he's saying, hey, you know what? I love you. I initiated love. I initiated contact. You were in a place of terrible evil, bondage. 
okay? This is undermining your life. I mean, you got a pharaoh, dictator, crazy stuff, trying to kill all Hebrew males, right? Trying to, trying to kill Moses. So it's like, I brought you out. I am the one that rescued you. I'm the one that rescued you. And I am, I am to be your God, which is your master passion and allegiance. It all started with the Lord reaching out, initiating contact, a love rescue. And so it could, like, if we just go back to Romans chapter 12 real quick, it's like Paul is saying, hey, the most reasonable service, my brethren, is that we would be a living sacrifice in response to all the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? So there's a similar parallel here. It's like, I rescued you, I loved you, and I love you, and I am the Lord, which means the eternal one, to be your God, to be like your master passion, right? You know, it's interesting, like Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, right? So he was actually much more specific than saying, I am God. He was actually claimed to be the self-existing one, the eternal one, the Lord. That's what Lord means. The one who was never created, who has always been. And so it all starts out, hey, look, I rescued you. I am the Lord to be your God. And it's like, I got the best interest in mind for you. I got a divine plan for you. And look up here for a second. There's a divine pattern to the Ten Commandments. And this is very important. The first four address vertical issues like, like the Lord, worshiping him in truth, don't localize him, no idolatry, I'll talk about it in a second, or God replacements. The third is, hey, don't take his name in vain, which is to empty the meaning of his name, to empty it, its meaning out of its name and disrespect his name because his name tells us who he is. So it's like this disregard, it's like, oh, Jesus means salvation, you know. It's like we have this at home. If, and my, if, if you were, if we're ever watching something together and you, like you're watching a movie and they go, Jesus Christ, you know, like it happens, we, we always respond, he rose from the dead. Right? So we always just kind of pick it up right there. It's so funny. It's so nice to see our kids do this, right? He rose from the dead. Sarah and Lynn, he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ, right? So it's like you don't want to... You don't want to empty the meaning of Jesus, which means salvation, makes all things new. You don't want to empty of its meaning. Can I, can I hear an amen to that, right? So, like, if you just deal with the first word, then you have Shabbat there, which primarily is given to Israel. Pattern is important for us. But if you deal responsibly with the first four, it will impact successfully the last six. So, in other words, if you get the first four right, then you're going to value your fellow man. You're not going to murder, beginning in the womb. You're not going to illegally require possessions, which is thievery. Like, have you, have, any, have you ripped off anything recently that is not yours? Seriously, you should make amends for it, by the way. It's like you are going to actually not speak what is not accurate, lie about your neighbor. Oh, my goodness, there's so much misinformation and slander on the Internet. You will not slander other people. You will not speak evil. You will not lie about others. Can I hear a big amen to that? If it, here's the thing. If it's not right vertically, then it's not going to be right horizontally. So if you need course correction, just go back to the first commandment here. I mean, really, that is what is being said here. And watch, what is evil is actually to go outside of God's commandments, 
outside of original design. We talk about this all the time. Like a cell, if it operates outside of its DNA, that you have cancer. So first four commandments address loving God. The last six commandments address loving fellow man. If the first four are right, vertical, the last six will be right. So if we ask, well, what is evil? I have some notes up here real quick. Evil is that which is outside of original design. I mean, seriously, like evil would be to, to like totally disregard the one who loves us and created us and made us and actually owns us and revealed himself to us. And I just like, I'm going to dethrone God in my life and I'm going to put someone or something in the place of Almighty God. That's actually evil, the Bible says. No, really, Greg, that's evil? It's like, I, you know, growing up, sometimes we'd see some scary movies, which I, you know, which is so psychologically freaked me out as a kid. So when I think, you know, think evil, I think of heads twisting, you know, or something, I don't know, guts, it's like really weird stuff. Yeah, well, no, let's call evil for what it is. Let me just call evil for what it is. It is disregarding the first commandment, disregarding the one who created us, who loves us, who's rescued us in Jesus Christ. Disregard. And I'm going to dethrone him and put someone or something else in his place. That's evil. That's evil. Yeah, that's not like guts and twisted heads, but that is evil. Evil is the result of man making choices contrary to original design. Evil is what is morally wrong. Yeah, we have it up there. Evil is that which causes harm to others. Evil is that which contradicts the holy nature of God. You know, interestingly, James Madison, one of the premier shapers of the U.S. Constitution, said this, I stake the future of American civilization not on the power of the government, to, but to govern ourselves on the Ten Commandments. So true. What Madison was saying is that true freedom begins with an internal system of guidance. He was saying, in effect, that when the internal system of guidance erodes, external controls become heightened. And a people, a nation, will then begin to lose their freedom by imposing more laws upon themselves in attempt to constrain their behavior. Amen. Commandment number one essentially is, hey, the Lord, the Lord is as our chief love and allegiance. And of course, think of the context. The context is the Lord is rescuing Israel. They're in Egypt. It's a pantheistic culture that requires all of these allegiances like a you know, like a clown trying to keep up all of these plates and it just gets overwhelming. And he's like, hey, I am the Lord. I rescued you. Live for an audience of one. It's like, you know what? That's healing. Yeah, amen to that. That's freeing. Corey Tin Boone said, God doesn't want any competitors. When he calls us, he wants us to show up for duty, period. Love it. Coach McCartney, when he was being interviewed at University of Colorado, won a national championship. He just said, he said fellas, I, I want to be very clear. My first priority is not football. I'm not so sure you should say that in an interview for a head coach, right? God is first in my life, then my family. Distant third is football. If you've got a problem with that, we can just end the meeting. Yeah, he got the job. He won a national championship. 
What is evil is when someone or something comes before the Lord. That is what is evil. That begins to throw everything off. Now listen, none of us are perfect. But look, we need to keep the Lord in the right place. We live for him. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. Can I hear an amen to that? Here's commandment number two. We have it here in verse three. You shall not have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image in any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, earth beneath. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's a lot there. And, and we're just scratching the surface but look, the commandment is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. It's to reject God replacements. So it's to make created things in life ultimate things. Like Paul would say if he was here, hey, don't worship creation. Any create, don't, don't. It's like nothing created should be replacing commandment number one. Nothing created. There's a lot of good things. Listen, my wife to me, virtue embodied. I love her, my best friend, right? It's like, that's a good thing. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. Did I tell you I have two granddaughters? Anyways, I'm so sorry. Okay, it's like, they, it's like my heart overflows. Like, but here's, here's the thing. I don't gain my identity. I don't look to my wife to fulfill my deepest needs. Only Almighty God can. It's like my, my, as, as much as relationship with her is so, it's fundamental to my sense of identity because we are one. The reality is, is who I am in essence is defined by being a son of the heavenly father. So you, a God replacement, again, is dethroning God and then something else takes the place. And it may be your work, and well, that's good. But it can be inordinate, I mean, it can be something that becomes really bad because if you're not performing up to a certain level, you're, you're not only bummed out. I mean, to the core, you can be broken. The reality is God replacements will abandon us. And if it's, if it's our beauty, if it's our muscle, I'm looking down, there's not much there. It's like, you know, whatever it is, it's like they will ultimately abandon you. They will treat you horribly, but not Almighty God. So he's just saying, look, Here's the thing, fundamental evil is to equate God to a created reality. When God is uncreated, it's like you're starting to make stick figures, creating them. You're worshiping creation over creator. Okay, so the fundamental evil is to equate God to a created reality when he is uncreated and eternal. Are you guys with me on that? Further, I can't see him. He made himself known, wrapped himself in human form. But God is a spirit. We can't see him, but we can hear him. To make created things ultimate things, we're looking to them as a God replacement. And as I keep mentioning, the Lord is dethroned. Something else takes the throne never intended to be there, it can even be good things. Look, I'm convinced when the Lord called Abram to say, essentially, I want your son. Give up your son. It, 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 
Isaac could become an idol to him. And it's like, if you don't course correct here, Abram, and keep me first in your life, you're going to distort that boy. You're going to put so much pressure on him to like live out, I don't know, your dreams and your visions. And it's like, I got to call for him, and it's different than you. So it's like, you need to course correct. When God is dethroned, bodily appetites are thrown, enthroned. Colossians 3, 5 says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. Listen, which is idolatry. It's like, well, can sexual relations before marriage be idolatry? Well, yeah. It's like, yeah, because now your bodily appetites are like supreme and leading the way, right? Yeah, so that's a God replacement. Breaking the second commandment is really slippery as well. One writer put it this way, this is very much a Christian sin. Our untaught, unthinking, unreading, self-absorbed, sentimental, evangelical subculture houses thousands of idolaters. Christian idolatry is betrayed in this telltale phrase, I think God, I think of God as fill in the blank. So I think of him as father. I think of him as mother. I think of him as an artist or forgiving or an architect. He is really all of those things. But when we overemphasize one aspect of who the Lord is, we can lose perspective of who he is in entirety. Are you guys with me on this? So it's now what you're doing is you're beginning to localize him you're beginning to minimize who he is. And, and that's just like, you don't, you don't want that. It's like, it's like, you know, God, there's many names, and we'll get to this in a second, of Almighty God. Each identify who the Lord is. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We can even do this with the Gospels. Of course, God loves everyone, but he loves us enough not to leave us the way we are. It's like right after Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, he said that actually the world is under judgment, which means it's broken and it needs fixing, and Jesus is the only solution. But the point is, is that it's like we can overemphasize one aspect of the gospel, and we do, we're not getting a complete picture, right, of not only who the Lord is, but what his plan is. Point is, we come to God on his terms. We come to him according to his revelation. We don't make him up. We don't pull him down. We have utmost awe and respect and, and overwhelmed by his greatness. That's a beautiful thing. And Jesus said the Father is seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. So it's like, well, what would be evil? Um, evil would be like cr creating an, an alternate God, I mean, or, which is impossible, but, but the point is, is that, or, you know, seeing theology as a celestial salad bar, I'm going to pick only so many aspects and not the whole picture, that's, that's evil. It's like, that's evil. That, that's, that's false worship. And number three, hey, what is it? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, which is more than like, you know, God blankety blank or, you know, throwing out Jesus without reverence. Although, Jesus' name, there's nothing like his name. Because every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. Can I hear another amen to that, right? But as I mentioned, to take the Lord's name in vain is to empty it of its meaning and holiness. 
And Jesus taught us, Jesus taught us to uphold this commandment when he taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. A bunch of names for God. I know that may throw off maybe someone new to the scriptures. Um, but it, like my name is Greg. It means watchman. And to be frank with you, I'm a bit like my name. I mean, that's just God made me that way. My wife's name, Stephanie, means crown. She is a beautiful crown. I mean, Jesus is, well, true to his name. It means salvation. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah-Rohi, okay, means that he is guiding us and protecting us and providing for us. He's the great shepherd. So watch this. Like right now, let us just honor his name because his name tells us who he is. And that is he is in our midst. He is faithful. He's protecting. He's providing. He is the great shepherd, right? So the Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah, addressing his omnipresence. The point is, is that, okay, well, he's always with us. And he's always at work, by the way. The question is, are we available to his work? He's omnipresent. The Bible says he is the one who sanctifies us, which carries the idea that God is holy. The Bible says the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. That's like he will, deny, he will not deny his name. He's true to his name. He's righteousness. He is our banner. He's our victory. We're not to take his name in vain. We worship him in spirit and in truth. Can, right? I love that. Beautiful. Jesus essentially said that the third commandment is going to come into focus at the judgment. He said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but he answers, I never knew you. So what's happened is, is that there are individuals who will like name the name of Jesus, but empty of its meaning and its impact in their life, right? And Jesus said, hey, it's essentially a breaking of this third commandment. And, and it's going to be, unfortunately, a rude awakening. I don't like talking about it. But it does carry the idea that, hey, if you name the name of Jesus, it carries responsibility. Like, how many of you remember the car, the Pinto, out of curiosity? You remember that? That's so funny. Did anybody have a Pinto? Oh, my goodness gracious. You had a Pinto? That's awesome, yeah. Okay, man, I just think, how many, anybody still have a Pinto out of curiosity? No, no, no. I don't think they were safe. How many remember this? Hey, we're a lot of the same age right here. I love this. I love it. Remember the Pinto, right? Ugliest car I've ever seen in my life. But can you imagine taking like a Mercedes um, insignia or kind of like what they, you know, have in the front of the, is that what it's called? Like the insignia? Can you imagine like taking the ripping it off a Mercedes, and then going and putting it on a Pinto. It's like, that does not fit. No, because the Mercedes, what is it called? It's a, whatever, it's a, what is it? Emblem. Emblem, thank you very much. Okay, so it's just like, it speaks of professionalism and craftsmanship, costs a whole lot more than a Pinto, right? So just putting it on a Pinto, just as, that is like, that's so weird, it's not going to help it. And it doesn't fit. And similarly, the Bible says if we name the name of Christ, depart from sin. It's like, hey, 
It's like, I'm not going to take the Lord's name in vain. I'm going to honor him. And look, the big idea is this, and we've just begun to study this. You get the first four right. Okay, we're going to look at this more in the weeks to come. You get the first four right. Then it's like, hey, there's going to be respect for mom and dad. Hey, there's going to be no murder, the value of our fellow man. There's going to be like sexual purity, no adultery. That's just in the original language, like no murder, no adultery, no theft. That's all just boom, 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 right? There's not going to be like, oh, I'm possessed by possessions and covetousness. Wait a second. If you go back through the first verse, as, as David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's like the madness for more. There's, it's always, we always want more if we're coveting. It's like, no, we can be content in Christ and do all things through him who strengthens us. The point is, if you get the first four right, all right, there's blessing. You get the last six right. But it all reminds us, man, of, of what we see in our culture, even our own lives. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the fish who wanted to be a fisherman, right? But he had been watching these fishermen on the side of the lake, and he's been swimming around. They never caught him. He's just saying, oh, man, I'd love to get out of the water. I mean, just look at it. They're drinking Diet Cokes and stuff, and they're fishing. They got these hats on, family, and all this thing. They're eating bologna sandwiches, whatever. It looks so fun. And one day, he mustered enough energy and courage and just shot out of the lake and ended up on the trail. And some pastor walked by and said, oh, look at that, that, that fish that is suffering. Poor God. You know what? God is so cool. I mean, so much suffering, and it's like, well, wait a second. That fish was never purposed or designed to live outside of water. And in a similar way, the Lord made us to love him, love our fellow man in righteous love and abhor that which is evil. God help us. Yeah, God help us. Yep. Mm. So, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for your word. Thank you. And, and we're not done yet, but I just want to pray, Lord, for all of us. I just, help me and help all of us with renewed minds and hearts, upping our love. We want to be great lovers, lovers of you and lovers of our fellow men. I mean, valuing others, being hospitable, associating with the humble, so to speak, um, I mean, also contagious with joy and hope and fighting for it despite our feelings. Um, being on team reality, being on team truth, being on team Jesus, you know, being on team that nothing is too hard for you. Let's just help us, help us with this, Lord. Help us with this. Thank you. Thank you for every precious brother and sister in this room. And I just want to pray, Lord, for anyone here that has yet to open their heart to you. And just going back to that first commandment, I mean, which has to do, okay, it's like I'm the one that rescued you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Look, God made you. He created you. You're not a byproduct of mindless nature. He's revealed himself to us. What's the alternative? What's the alternative that... If there's no God, there's no sun, there's no revelation, then what? We are in this big ball called Earth, traveling in space. So far, no one else is in the universe and the galaxies, and uh, we're a byproduct of mindless nature. It's insane. There's no way. No, G Jesus 
proved and demonstrated the gospel is true by his resurrection. He's alive, my friend. What I didn't know before coming to faith in Jesus is that there's a big difference between believing in God and then opening the door of your heart to receive his son. Where as you do, you are forgiven of your sins and Christ literally takes residence in your life and you begin relationship with him. Because I believed in God. And I actually, you know, believed in Jesus. I didn't really totally know what it meant. But the Bible says even Satan believes. It's not enough. Um, Jesus said this. He said there's a broad way that leads to destruction and many go that way. He said there's a narrow way that leads to eternal life and few be that find it. And he said, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except to be through me. Listen, the Lord loves you. He loves you. He loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. You say, well, Greg, like, what do you mean open the door of my heart to him, Christ coming in? Does that mean like I become a Christian? Yes. It can happen on a drop of a dime, but then you begin a relationship with him, and he wants you to follow him. You say, well, I have to give up anything? You will, actually. You'll have to give up those things that offend God because they're no good for you. And he has something far better. It's like, man, before coming to Christ, we're eating Alpo. And the Lord wants to give us something far better for sure. Will it always be easy? Of course not. No. We live in a broken world. No, it won't always be easy. Uh, but in Christ, we triumph. And in God's will for your life is to be rightly aligned with the one who made you, created you, loves you, and revealed himself in his son. That is God's will. And I just pray in these next few moments. I want to give you an opportunity, actually, to just imagine being, I don't know, you're just about ready to get on a plane, right? We all know it's like you step over that threshold. You know, you could stop. You could turn around. Uh, but it's like, you. but then if you're going to get on, you got to step over. And and before coming to Christ, it's like, hey, we're not for the Lord. We're on the other side. We need to step over the plane. Take that first step. You say, how do I do it? Recognize what he's done for you. He died for you. He resurrected. He's coming again. We need to turn from our sin to Christ. We need to receive him as our Savior and Lord. And we do that. How it all brings together. He really is just a prayer away. And those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. So pray with me if you want to do that. Seriously, drop everything and just step into this moment. And if you mean it, if you mean this prayer, he'll honor it. So church family, if you'd like to join in as a word of encouragement, that'd be awesome. But this is a prayer of asking Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And I'm, I'm just in, in my heart praying for you to step into this. Pray with me if that's you. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me and resurrecting from the dead. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with the life of God and teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for forgiving me Thank you for coming into my life, making me your child, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.